Proverbs chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to get to the text in just a minute. Um, my anchor holds within the veil. I think that's my favorite line in that song. My anchor holds within the veil. That anchor should be capitalized. That veil is that, that realm that we can't see, but that exists just as surely as this building exists this morning. Um, that realm where, where Christ dwells. He is with us. We might not see him, but he is with us. And, um, and that veil beyond which he has passed is that place that we're going to, which Mindy speaks about. And I can tell you, the anchor holds in the veil. The anchor holds in the veil. Jesus calling his children home to him. What he's began, he'll finish. What he started, he'll complete um, on that day when we are fully redeemed, mind, uh, body, and soul. Um, Proverbs chapter 16, I'm going to get to a verse in there in just a minute, but I had another verse in Proverbs. Let me give you a little bit of backstory how I got here. Um, I had another verse in Proverbs, been on my mind most of the week this week and on my heart to preach um, about greed. Man, I'm telling you, y'all didn't get a little bit frustrated early this week? Folks filling up trash bags with gasoline. Tubs, buckets. Anything that they could get their hands on, and it didn't matter who was in line behind them. They had containers in the back of their trucks going to make sure that if nobody else had a way to go, they was going to have a way to go. And this ain't the first time this has happened in our culture, and that ain't the first time I've seen something in our culture that just makes me realize how greedy um, we have become as a people. It's an epidemic. But as I started to study that whole, and I had the verse in mind, it's in Proverbs as well. I, I knew what the verse was. I knew what it said. I didn't know exactly chapter and verse, so I was searching for it. And, um, and as I was searching for it and beginning to think about the stuff in our culture that just makes me sick to my stomach, the stinking, rotten fruit of the culture, and in many ways it's, it's creeping itself um, into the church, um, like, like the immorality that just grows more and more rampant, it seems like every year, the entitlement mentality, the, the laziness, the, the violence, the selfishness, the prejudice, the injustice. I mean, look, we can make a list this morning of the things that you and I see and experience every day in the culture around us and sometimes in the church that we're a part of and um, that just makes us nauseous thinking about it. It's rotten fruit. It's stuff that makes me sick. It's stuff that I hate to see in other people and it's stuff that I uh, need to make sure um, is not growing in my own heart and in my own life. I remember that when I, was, when I was thinking about all this stuff, it started with greed and then my mind started going to so many other directions of things that need to be addressed um, Garrett and Nadia planted Satsumas a few years ago, um, kind of start a citrus crop in this area. Some guy in Clinch County has already done it, others are considering it. Blueberries, um, everybody's got blueberries, and they're diversifying a little bit. Um, but they planted Satsumas, and, and just last year they had a good crop for the size of the plants. Plants are not very high, but they had a good crop, and we're inviting folks to come and pick and taking some to the store. And I was curious this year about how things were going. I asked him what they looked like, and he said, ain't nothing to them. He's like, most of them are, die, uh, are dead or dying. and not going to be uh, much fruit on them at all this year. Um, in fact, he just said, it's, a, it's pretty much a complete failure. And I said, what in the world? You know, what in the world for, for you to go from that last year to what you had this year? And he said, well, it's just a bad root stock. He, that's his opinion. He said it wasn't a lack of water. It wasn't a lack of um, soil preparation. There wasn't anything wrong with the soil. It's just bad root stock. He said it made some decent fruit 
this year, but they won't ever do that again. So, and and he, I asked him what he was going to do, and he said, "We're just going to grind it up. We're just going to grind it up and look for better rootstock." Here's what he said: "You can't expect to keep getting good fruit from a tree that has bad roots. You can't expect to get good fruit from a tree, and you can. I mean, even a bad tree might make a little good fruit every now and then. But if you want lasting, fruitful, productive harvest in those." Citrus trees or any others, you gotta have good, you gotta have a good root stock. And that made me think about some verses uh, when John the Baptist was introducing Jesus to the world and preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. People were coming to John the Baptist wanting to be baptized, and he told them, Bring forth fruit, meet for repentance. I want to see that there's been a change of heart that's taking place in your life. And then he made this statement in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. He said, Now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He said to lay the axe to the trees that are not producing good fruit. In Romans chapter 11, verse, six, uh, verse 16, it says, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. If the root is holy, the branches, the fruit of that will be Holy. Good or bad, roots are what produce the fruits. Right? Bad roots, bad fruits. Good roots, good fruits. And so I started, I started thinking about that whole concept of identifying, identifying the root of the rottenness in our culture. That's what we need to do. We need to get a better root stock. If we want better fruit to grow in our culture and in our church, then we need a better root stock that produces bountiful and profitable fruit. So I'm going to do a I didn't intend to get into another sermon series this quickly. It just happened, all right? And I feel liberty and leadership, and it was easy for me to study, which is usually a sign that God's in it. And um, I wasn't struggling after I, this came to my mind. So I'm, I'm going to start a series this morning. I'm just going to call Vice and Virtue. Vice and virtue. What we need in the church, what the culture needs as a whole, is to identify the roots of our problem, the vice, and replace it with a better rootstock, which is virtue. Root out the vice of our hearts and replant it with the virtues of Christ. Now, Catholicism would refer to what I'm talking about as... This, as the deadly sins, the seven deadly sins is what Catholicism would use to refer to the vice um, that we're going to be looking at. Um, and the reason they call it seven deadly sins is because they are known as the primary basic root of all other sin. And everything that they produce, everything that comes out of it is rotten fruit. Um, and and on, the, on the other side of that, Catholicism has another list that they don't call the seven deadly sins. They call the seven cardinal virtues. But it's actually the diametrically opposed root to that vice of those seven deadly sins. They're the primary basic roots of all righteousness. And so the fruit that they produce is good fruit and bountiful fruit. So we're going to get to greed, but today I want to consider... And the rest of the list may not be in any particular order at all, all right? I'm just going to take it as I feel like the Lord's leading me to it. Greed's probably going to be next because that's what started my mind heading in this direction. But today, if I had to list, if I had to put the list in any order of importance, there would be no argument whatsoever that today's subject is at the top of the list. 
because I believe that today's subject is the root of all sin. In fact, it may be the original sin that became the root of all other sin, and that is pride. Romans chapter 16, verse 5. I'm going to take you to some other passages later, but this is going to be the key verse this morning. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5 says this, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. You know, when we talk about abominations, we talk about sexual immorality, um, we talk about the lying tongue, we talk about um, witchcraft, and those are the things that the, that the Bible uses the word abomination over. But the word says in Proverbs 16, 5, that anybody that is proud in heart is an abomination unto the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not go unpunished. And pride, might, pride can, can dominate our culture. Pride can dominate the church many times. But God has promised us that it don't matter how many proud people you join together. If you join proud man to proud man to proud man to proud man, though hand join in hand, they will not go unpunished. Now, I'm not going to go read both of these texts, but there's two texts in the Bible, and I know there's some disagreement about this, that refer to Satan's fall. But you don't even have to look at it from that perspective to glean the same kind of information from it. Um, in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse, um, there's actually a context there where he's talking to the king of Babylon, but in my opinion, the thought process shifts a little bit to who's behind the king of Babylon later on in that text. Um, but, but Ezekiel describes um, an anointed cherub who covers, who was in the garden of God, who did... Um, that was perfect in all the ways on the day that he was created. Anointed cherub that covers the highest order of the angelic beings. Anointed to sing glory and praises to God. And then in, 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 in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 17, it says, Thy heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. And, and you um, corrupted wisdom by reason of your brightness. You had everything going on, but then you let your heart get proud. And so he said, I'm going to cast you before the ground, lay you before kings that they may behold you. There's another text that you can lay alongside of that in Isaiah chapter 14. And I am going to read to you that portion. Um, in verse 12 it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like the most high. But verse 15 says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So I think it's safe to say whatever your interpretation of those two passages of scriptures are, pride for men, pride in angels, all of it's deadly. All of it needs to be dealt with or God will deal with it. So let's talk about the vice of pride this morning. First of all, let's define pride. And in order to do that, I need to differentiate between two different types of pride. I'm not going to be confusing it all from here on out, but you might get a little bit confused here. When we talk about vice and virtue, when we talk about the vice of pride and how you define pride, there are actually two different types of pride. And one of them is not necessarily bad. It is what I, I'm just going to call it a healthy sense of pride. When you talk about healthy pride, that's having a proper self-respect. That's knowing that you have dignity and worth 
in the sight of God because we are image bearers of God. The Bible says in Genesis that God created us, male and female, that He created us in His image. And I understand that image has been marked and marred and defaced in all kinds of ways by sin. Um, but we are designed by God to be His image bearers in the earth. So there's a certain amount of self-respect and dignity and worth that mankind should have that nobody else or nothing else, no other created entity um, in the universe uh, can have. Now, healthy pride looks like this. When a person has a sense, a healthy sense of pride, it looks like this. It manifests itself like this. The fruit that it produces looks like this. It has a desire to work. A healthy sense of pride has a desire to take care of oneself and to take care of, one, uh, take care of those that are around it um, by going out and working. Now, there, I can take you to all kinds of verses in the Bible that talk about the work ethic and how, and I believe that work ethic is tied to the sense of having some self-respect, some dignity and worth in yourself that you go out and provide, not only for yourself, but for those that you have um, the responsibility to care for. It's also manifested as a desire to excel, not just to do enough to get by, um, but to do the best you can do and to be the best that you can be. I'm going to tell you something, it drives me crazy when I see somebody give a half, a half an effort to anything, especially if you're doing it for somebody else. Now, if you want to do that for yourself, have at it. Um, but if you're going to go do work for somebody else, I think you ought to do the best job that you can do. If you're going to work for God, I think you ought to do as good as you can do or you ought not to do it. In fact, the Bible says, let everything you do be done for the glory of God. That means at work, at home, wherever you're at, do it for the glory of God. A healthy sense of pride makes people want to work and makes them want to do well whatever they're doing to excel, to, to put their hand to the plow and do the best job that they can do. It's also a desire to help. It's a desire, a, a healthy sense of pride will make you look out for the needs of others because you understand the dignity and worth of humanity in and of itself. And, and, and I think it promotes in us a desire to bring God glory um, and a desire to help other people um, receive of uh, this world's goods. Now, the other side of that is, I'm not just going to call it what it is, sinful pride. Now, you understand that there, it's okay for me to say I want to make my daddy proud of me. I want my dad to be proud of my work ethic. I want my dad to be proud that I do the best that I can do, that I am, that I try to be the best man that I can be. I want my daddy to look and say, I'm proud of my son because he tries to be a help to his family and a help to other people. That's a healthy sense of pride. Now, if he get, lets himself get lifted up over that, then he can fall prey to a sinful pride. But there's a healthy pride and there's a sinful pride. Webster defines sinful Webster actually defines pride a couple different ways, but the sinful pride area, Webster says, is an unduly high opinion of oneself. You can look at the text that we read in Ezekiel, or, or, or considered in Ezekiel, the text that we read in Isaiah chapter 14. Sinful pride exalts itself to become its own God. Sinful pride will cause a person to want to be the Lord of their own life, um, in charge of their own life, to to absolutely not submit to anybody or anything but to put themselves up on that pedestal and have an unduly high opinion of, of, of themselves in every sense of the word. Here's how I believe it manifests itself. This is the rotten fruit of sinful pride, a sense of entitlement. Sinful pride makes you think everybody owes you something. Sinful pride makes you think that everybody ought to serve your needs 
instead of you serving somebody else's needs. Sinful pride is a sense of superiority. Nobody does it like I do it. Nobody does it better than I do it. Um, sinful pride manifests itself in a sense of self-infatuation, that everything that it does is more self-serving than it is serving anybody else. It's infatuated um, with receiving the glory. It's infatuated um, when, when even the things that it does appears to serve others, it's done for ulterior motives um, to serve self. Now, God, I believe, wants us to have a healthy sense of pride. See, there's nothing wrong with any of those things related to a healthy sense of pride. I can prove it in other passages in the Bible that all of those things need to be true of us and they all stem from having a healthy sense of self-respect. So God wants us to have a healthy sense of dignity, of worth, of value. The Bible goes to great lengths to tell us who we are in Christ, which proves to me He wants us to know who we are. Chosen, called, cleansed, elect, according to the promises of God. Um... But what Satan does so subtly, in fact, this, it goes all the way back to the garden. If pride is what caused Satan to fall, he knows that it's the tool to use to cause people to fall. And although he was created perfect in wisdom and in all of his ways, his heart got lifted up and that healthy, proper respect became sinful because he had a highly, an unduly high opinion of himself. And so what he tempted Eve in the garden, he said, Ah, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. God knows. God don't want you to eat the fruit because he knows that if you do, you'll become like him. So he appealed to that sinful pride tapped into, perverted it, and 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 then destroyed them by it. That's what he tries to do to us. He tries to turn that healthy sense of self-respect into something that it shouldn't be. And, and you know, I kind of look at it like this. Pride can either be your servant or it can be your master. Now, if you have a healthy sense of pride, pride becomes your servant. But if you have a sinful sense of pride, then pride becomes your master. And that makes all the difference in the world. If you, if you have pride as a servant... Then, uh, then, then you can bring God glory by it. You can bring good to those that are served by it. But if you have pride as a master, then it becomes the source of all the sin and all the rebellion against God in your life. So, how do you recognize which one you have? And I won't say this. I'm, I'm going to say it about me if I don't say it about you. I think sometimes we kind of get on a seesaw on this thing. And, and, and sometimes we got, we got a healthy sense of pride, but just a little bit of sinful pride lingering on. And that sinful pride is always vying for an opportunity to squash that healthy sense of pride. So we have to be careful about this thing and, and keep healthy pride high and sinful pride low, eradicated if at all possible. Um, because I think if, we, if you describe sinful pride, um, first let's acknowledge that it is exceedingly dangerous for us. Um, and one reason I think it is so dangerous is because it, it resists being self-detected. It don't want you to see pride sinful in you. You understand that? If you go ask somebody, are you a proud person? No. Well, that's, that's an indicator that you might be. I mean, I've asked some people before if they were humble, and they said, yeah, I'm humble. Hmm. I tell you, if anybody ever asks you that question, here's the answer. Well, I want to be. 
I want to be. But the truth of the matter is, is it don't, sinful pride wants to run in our lives without us knowing that it's running our lives. It wants to fly under the radar. It's hard for us to spot, especially when it is our master. Here's some indicators of spiritual pride. When you try to describe sinful pride, here's what it'll look like. Self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. That is, um, when I think about self-centeredness, that is, whatever you need, whatever you want, whatever cares you may have, whatever comforts you may desire are more important than anybody else's. Hello. Now this gets into church. When it becomes that all about me. Who sang that song? Keith? Keith? Toby Keith? It's all about me. It's all about my. It's all about number one. Oh, me, oh, my. And that thing creeps into... I'm sorry, I ain't trying to sing to you this morning. Especially not... But if we ain't careful, it creeps into the house of God. Oh, I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't care who else wants it. I don't want it. I don't like it. I don't need it. That, that self-centeredness, it creeps into marriage. I don't care what she needs. This is about what I need. I don't care what he needs. This is about what I need. This is about what I want. This is about my comfort. This is about my care. And I'm going to tell you, it'll destroy a house. It'll destroy a church. It's destroying a culture. That whole self-centered, that, that I am more important and what I like is more important and what I need is more important and what I want is more important than what anybody else needs or wants. And I can tell you a good way that you can spot this in your life is how do you respond when things don't go your way? Now, I ain't preaching just to you. I'm preaching to me because when things don't go my way, I can get bitter. I can get angry. I can get vindictive, and all of that is about pride taking root, sinful pride taking root in my heart. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. Where, where you find pride, you will find contention. Where you find sinful pride in the home or in the church or in the culture, you're going to find battles, strife, division dissension, all of that is rooted in sinful pride. Um, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 23, He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Why? Because you're self-centered and self-absorbed and self-focused. Self-centered pride is contentious, it's rude, it's disrespectful, it's inconsiderate, and it's uncaring. The second, I think the second way to describe sinful pride is not only that it's self-centered, but it's self-glorifying. It's boastful. It is arrogant. It is condescending. And it is jealous of anybody else that takes the attention off of you. Now, don't you hate... I'm telling you something. When I see these athletes get on television... In fact, I, I watched a little video clip. How many of you saw that Bryce Harper? I don't even know who Bryce Harper is because I don't follow sports. But I saw a little video clip a few weeks ago, just a little five-second clip, where this guy got hit in the cheekbone with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. I mean, it looked like his whole face melted when that ball hit him. And I, I ain't a sports guy, but occasionally I try to make conversation with sports-minded people, which is a mistake because I don't have a clue what they're talking about 99% of the time. But I remembered the guy's name, and I remember what, he pra- uh, um, what happened to him. 
And I was in the barber shop, and they was all talking sports, and I'm like, I want in this conversation. <laughs> so I said, hey, y'all see that clip of Bryce Harper getting hit with a fastball? And nobody in there had seen it, so I felt kind of proud. <laughs> and uh, one of the guys pulled it up, and when he, he, ooh, he did that, and then the barber stopped cutting my hair and went over and said, let me see that. <laughs> and then everybody in there said, I'm glad that joker got tagged. And I was feeling sorry for the dude, but you know what they said? He's the most arrogant, condescending. He thinks that he's the team. He thinks that he's the only one that can play ball in the whole league. And they were proud that he got smacked in the jaw. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you something. When I see athletes like that, it makes me feel the same way about them. I don't like to see people that boast themselves. I, I can't be around folks that are just super arrogant and condescending. And look down their nose. That just don't sit well with me. But I'm going to tell you, if we're not real careful, that becomes us. And if you won't toot my horn, I'll toot it myself. Proverbs 27.2 says, let another, man's, let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger, but not your own lips. I read this quote while I was studying. Don't brag, it ain't the whistle that pulls the train. Don't brag, it ain't the whistle that pulls the train. I'm going to tell you, some of the folks that are doing the most on the ball team in the church house are them people doing it behind the scenes that don't ever get any glory for it and don't want any. And the last thing, self-righteousness. That is just simply this. I'm better, wiser, worthier, more spiritual than anybody else around me. Now this manifests itself in the church more than we want to admit that it does. We, I'm going to tell you something about all of us. None of us are as spiritual as we think we are. All right? Can I just say that? I ain't as spiritual as I think I am. Self-righteousness manifests itself more often in the church by us being hypercritical of each other. That we nitpick everybody else's flaws. And why do we do that? Because as long as we're doing that, we can't see our own. And if you look at what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, it boils down to this. Don't be so exceedingly judgmental of everybody else that you can't see what's going on in your own life. Because if you're really going to be a help to somebody else, you've got to get the log out of your eye before you can put a splinter out of your brother's. And so there's two things going on there. Don't be so hypercritical of everybody else that you become hypocritical in yourself. Hypercritical means to be overjudgmental of others. Hypocritical means to be underjudgmental of yourself. The Bible tells us to judge righteous judgment, which is neither hyper nor hypo. It's to take the Word of God and lay it alongside our life or to lay the Word of God alongside anybody's life and to just show the error of our ways by the Word of God. You know the, the most scathing condemnation that Jesus had in all the New Testament towards the Pharisees? Why? Because they were self-righteous. When they stood up in church, they say, we... 
We, we tithe on everything we have. We pray. We go to church every time the doors is open. We do this. We do that. In fact, one of them even had the audacity to say to a publican that stood in the back of the building and wouldn't lift up his head, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that publican standing back there. Y'all be ashamed of the way that he lives his life. The Bible said the publican went home justified. The Pharisee was condemned. The pride of the Republican of the of the Pharisees was that they were self-righteous. Paul said that they would not submit themselves to the righteousness of Christ because they didn't think they needed it. It's that Pharisaical attitude that makes us backbite and belittle each other. It's it's a Pharisaical attitude that'll make us not receive rebuke or correction. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit, there is more hope of a fool than of him. A man that's wise in his own eyes, there's more hope of a fool than for him. And so listen, if sinful pride takes root in our heart, every other sin is going to find fertile soil to produce rotten fruit in our life. Pride's where it all starts. Pride's where it all starts. So how we defeat it? I'm closing with this. Last point. Because we've got to talk about the virtue. The only, way, the only way that we can defeat sinful pride in our life um, is to put on the virtue of humility. Now, it's impossible. Listen, listen carefully. It is, it is impossible for us to be truly humble and sinfully proud at the same time. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, we can swap those things back and forth. In fact, I think we can do that sometimes moment by moment. But it's impossible to be truly humble and sinfully proud at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. You can't do both together. So if you're going to defeat sinful pride in your life, every time it tries to creep in, you've got to put on again humility. And humility will never be found through self-effort. You cannot make yourself humble. I will say this. I'm going to chase a rabbit for a minute. If we refuse to humble ourselves, if we refuse... The the Bible doesn't say that God humbles us. It calls us to humble ourselves. But if we don't humble ourselves, God can deal with us in our pride. And usually that takes form of of, of, of humiliation. Old Nebuchadnezzar got boasted. Boy, he threw his shoulders back and said, Look at what I've done. And for the next seven years, Nebuchadnezzar crawled around on the ground acting like a wild animal. His fingernails grew, his hair grew, he slobbered. I mean, the the mighty king of Babylon was humbled to the point um, that that men didn't know what in the world happened to him. I'll tell you what happened to him. God humiliated him. Nebuchadnezzar, when he came to his senses, lifted up his eyes back to heaven and gave glory to the God who sits on the throne and exalted him, and that's when his humility came. So if we won't humble ourselves, God has, ma- he has means to humble us. But it would be far better for us to humble ourselves. And, but we, don't, we can't do that through self-effort. I know that sounds contradictory, but let me explain what I mean. There are people that believe that they can become humble by flogging themselves. I'm just going to take a whip and beat my own back. People do that. There are, there are forms of Christianity where people believe 
um, that, that, that taking a whip and flogging yourself or having somebody else flog you will make you more humble. There are folks that believe you can take a vow of poverty, that you can give away everything that you own, just put it in somebody else's hands and take a vow of poverty, take a vow of celibacy, take a vow of this, take a vow of that. All of those things are an effort to make yourself humble. But can I tell you that those things can actually make you proud? That people that are engaging in that stuff make them feel like they're more humble than anybody else in the world. Therefore, that is sinful pride. You know, in, in reality, I don't know that humility even recognizes itself most of the time. Humility can be found only through submission to Christ. We, we can only be humble when we get at Jesus' feet. I appreciate what, Mil, what Mindy said earlier. You, you know where we find humility? At Jesus' feet. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is simply this. The better you know Jesus the more humble and less proud you become. The better you know Jesus, the less proud and the more humble you become. And, I, and, and how do we do that? I, I, I tell you what, every day we need to find ourselves at Jesus' feet saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you today more than I needed you yesterday. I'm going to need you tomorrow more than I needed you today. Humility is found in a dependence upon Christ. That we, that we every day fall at his feet and say, Receive me, Lord Jesus, and help me be the man, the woman, the husband, the wife, the employer, the employee. Help me to be who you want me to be. Jesus modeled humility for us. The King of kings and Lord of lords washed the servant's feet. Matthew chapter 18 verse 4 says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So if you recognize that you have some sinful pride in your life, then you need to make humility your ambition. And the way that you do that is to humble yourself at the feet of Jesus. Let me close with some verses. Proverbs 22, 4. Wonderful verse. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. James 4, 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You see what all of those verses are saying? Get yourself under the authority of Christ. Put yourself at the feet of Jesus. The Bible said God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You want God to fight you? Then come into his presence full of sinful pride. You can't, by the way. 
Look in the Bible. Every man that's ever come into the presence of God literally fell on his face. Uh, when them guards that came to get Jesus that night realized who he was, they fell backwards. Because when you come into the presence of Christ, really, and we do it by faith, but when you come there really, there ain't any room for pride. There ain't going to be any room for pride standing before his throne. None. All of those verses say that if we place ourselves under him, if we submit ourselves to him, then he will humble us because we did so. So let me summarize it. I'm not going to go back and preach the whole message again, but I do want to give you a little brief summary so that you can hang on to this, and then I'm going to give an invitation. Sinful pride may be the root of all other, all other sin. Every other sin that creeps into our life has as its primary root. The tap root is pride. We think we know better than God. We've taken, our own, we've taken authority upon ourselves to make our own rules, to do our own things. And so by definition... By definition, sinful pride is an unduly high opinion of oneself that enthrones self above all others. By its description, it is self-centered, self-glorifying, self-righteous, and will be self-destructive. It's defeated only by continually bowing to the grace, knowledge, and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The virtue of humility is where all the good fruit comes from. If, if, if pride is the root of all sin, then humility is the root of all righteousness. It is everything that sinful pride is not. Humility is everything that sinful pride is not. It's full of gratitude, it's full of mercy, it's full of compassion, it's full of caring. It's a wonderful master and servant. Now I told you this earlier, uh, if pride's your master then it's sinful. But if pride's your servant, you can make it for God's glory and others' good. But I'm going to tell you something about humility. It's a good master and a servant. If, if, if humility is your master and servant, it'll serve you and it'll serve others with the richest blessings that life can give you. And the last thing is it is only found by knowing and by following Christ. It's only found by knowing and following Christ, which, which means trusting Him every day as not just your Savior, but also your Lord. God, you said it, I believe it. You said it, I believe it. Um, I'm, 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 I'm going to chase this rabbit just a second. When the, when the Bible talks about knowing Jesus, the word that they use is the same word that we use for a man knew his wife and she bore a son or a daughter the word implies an intimacy so I'm going to tell you this morning just ha you having a head knowledge of Christ is not going to defeat pride in your life Jesus wants you to know him on an intimate level in that you have a very personal relationship with him that you humble yourself at his feet every day and recognize that you're absolutely, totally dependent upon him. You can't save yourself. You can't sanctify yourself. You certainly can't glorify yourself. If, if you're going to make it to heaven, it's going to be because of what Jesus has done for you, in you, through you. It's going to be all about him. If any of us make it to heaven, it's going to be because our anchor is behind the veil and he pulled us home.
So, if you've recognized some pride in your life right now, I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit through the Holy Word did that, not me. Because the Holy Spirit through the Holy Word is by design there to expose pride so that we can bring ourselves in submission at Jesus' feet. Um, now, we can do two things when that happens to us. We can resist that conviction or we can submit to that conviction. And I can tell you, they folks walk out of church every Sunday all across our world that are convicted about their sin but refuse to submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ. So he leaves that choice in your hands, the choice of resistance or rebellion. It's yours to make. Pride will always resist. Humility will always submit. But I'm going to encourage you this morning, don't let pride be your master. Jesus is ready to move in and defeat it. But when we recognize it in our life, then it's our move to make. You can step out of that pew. Come forward and declare to everybody in this church and before the Lord himself, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you every hour. I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I, you've, you've um, in the studying and in the preaching, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word has cut me. The double-edged sword has done a work coming and going. I pray that God, you'd never let me hate the things in others that are present in my own life. Let me hate it first in me. And then I can see clearly how to help others. Jesus, you're always the answer to sin, whatever form it takes in our life. As we begin to talk about the roots of all sin, we always going to come back to this because there is no true virtue. We'll never find virtue without you, Lord Jesus. Only you can make us who we need to be and who we ought to be. Only you can transform us into your image. But there's a necessity for us and that is not to resist not to grieve the Holy Spirit, not to quench, not to stop our ears at the hearing of your word, not to harden our hearts, but to surrender and submit. And we even need your help to do that, Lord. So I pray that whatever pride might be in us right now that's raising itself up, trying to, trying to stop us, from humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. In Jesus' name, help us to overcome that. Root it out of us. 
plant humility in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.